it's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 629 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week is another great double-header episode. I have two entertaining interviews this week. The first with Jerry Carita from the Grizzly Crew Number 1. Then Tyrone Finch joins me from Ahoy Comics' upcoming Deadweights book. Jerry's wonderful book, The Grizzly Crew, is being funded right now on Kickstarter. It's described this way. A crew of pirate bears protects seaside villages from Captain Wolfhart and a fleet of evil scalawags. We talk about the very important role Jerry's son Harlan plays in the making of this comic, who the various characters are, and what we can expect from Jerry in the months ahead. Be sure to back this project before it concludes on Wednesday, February 28th at 9.59 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Then everything wraps up with my engaging discussion with creator Tyrone Finch from Ahoy Comics' Deadweights, which is described as a buddy comedy about two unlucky henchmen trying to make their way in the world. We discuss who the characters are, what we might expect from this excellent miniseries, and what Tyrone has headed our way in the coming months. The first issue of this book will land in stores on April 10, so be sure to let your local comic shop know you want this added to your pull list right away. I'm sure you're going to enjoy what they both have to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. Evil pirates terrorize seaside towns, so naturally the kids are afraid and can't sleep. So their parents tell them a story about pirate bears protecting the village. Doesn't look like they're buying it, though. The name of the comic is The Grizzly Crew Number 1. Of course, a new comic about pirate bears. It's available on Kickstarter right now. Well, and people get me because I don't get this soon enough. The project will be funded if it reaches its goal by Wednesday, February 28th at at 9.59 a.m. And tonight I'm talking with the co-creator and writer of the book, and that's Jerry Carita. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me on. It's good to talk with you. Uh, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time, so uh, we hope we're going to get right out just in time for the, the coming to the end of the Kickstarter. And as I was looking at the Kickstarter page, you're getting close. And hopefully by the time this posts, you'll be into stretch goals or other good things. So, yes, sir. I, I think I'm at, um, I'm right now, I'm tw- I've got 12 days left right now, mm-hmm. and I'm at 65%. So hopefully when this comes out, I'll be right there. Okay, good. That'll, that'll be great. Um, now, th- I've got so many questions about this. this. Yours was one of the best Kickstarter pages because as I was reading that, I, I got to ask about that. I got to ask about that. Oh, that's great. All, all kinds of wonderful stuff because usually I read Kickstarters and I'm going like, whoa, I don't, that explained everything. I got nothing to ask about. But this one's got all kinds of stuff. I, the first thing I'm going to go kind of go down the page. It's uh, imagine an all ages pirate adventure set in the universe of the Jungle Book. Yes, sir. That fascinates me. I, I, I've never seen people trying to 
fill in the Jungle Books universe. So talk about that. I mean, the, using the Jungle Book as the, 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 the launching pad for the story, how did that come about? So it's more of it's more of like a visual creative touchstone. You know, I think I think when we were talking about the character designs, um, it's a world where, you know, the humans are humans and they speak and talk and do normal human stuff. But there are also animals who, you know, live as humans. They sort of live as humans do. So I, the, the reference to Jungle Book or Tailspin or, you know, Gummy Bears, that kind of era of. Um, films that I grew up watching and television shows I grew up watching, cartoons when I was a kid. It was just basically a creative touchstone for how to design the characters. I kind of wanted them to look very clearly like bears, not super humanoid. It's like a bear dressed like a pirate. Um, and so this in this universe of human beings that are being terrorized by human pirates, there's this one ship filled with pirate bears. It's like characters from the Jungle Book showing up on a pirate ship to you know, to fight off the evil pirates. So it, it was more about the character design than anything else. It's not, it doesn't take place in the universe of the jungle book. Okay. All right. That's a good thing. No, yeah. I, I used to love tailspin. Oh I yeah. Me too. It was a great one. I, Every time I say it, I get the, the theme song in my head for like two days. <laughs> I, I loved all those Disney afternoon shows. I used to come home from work and, and sit and watch those even as an adult. So yeah. Now, before we get into the book too heavily, I wanted to, to bring out uh, something that I read in your description. It said, you didn't start reading comics until you were 30 years old. That's correct. So talk about that. How did that happen? So when I was a kid, my geek thing was TV. And I just, I, I guess whatever circles I ran in, whatever friends I had, I never had that moment where someone hands you a comic book and you go, oh my goodness, I found, these are my people. I found my people. So it wasn't until I was in my early 30s. I was, uh, I'm a television producer. So um, I work on reality shows and I was working on a show called Comic Book Men, which is, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of people listening probably have heard of that show. It's very popular among the comics crowd. And, um, you know, it took place in Kevin Smith's comic book shop in Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, and so I would just, we would just spend these long days in the shop listening to Kevin's friends talk about comics from when they were a kid. And it, the, the passion and love for the genre was just uh, infectious. And then, you know, while we were sitting in the shop, I had a lot of like time in between us filming and, and on lunch breaks and stuff like that. And I started picking books up off the shelf um, and reading them. And so the first, you know, that show was on AMC, which is where The Walking Dead was also on. And so we, we were allowed to use The Walking Dead comics in the shop as sort of set dressing. So that's the first comic book I started reading was I started reading The Walking Dead from beginning all the way through up until that point, which was, you know, this was like 12 years ago now. Wow, so it wasn't that. that far into it. But The Walking Dead was basically my first real comic book series where I, where I spent any real time reading, the, reading comics and kind of getting into it. Interesting, because I, I didn't get into The Walking Dead because I am less of a horror guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm more of a superhero kind of guy. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But I. I didn't get into, I was at a comic shop with the, the guy, I knew the guy who ran the shop, and I said to him, look, I got extra money, what book should I pick? And he said, buy The Walking Dead. I said, oh, no, that's a black and white book all about zombies, that's never going to be yeah. any good. And he said, pick <laughs> it up. So I bought it, and the next week I was up there buying every uh, trade paperback I could get of it. So Yeah, that was it. So and around, around that same time, my cousin is a comic book writer, so around that same time he started writing um, at DC Comics, and so I started reading his books too. So he was writing in the Batman universe. My, my cousin is James Tynan. Um, oh so, wow! 
So right around the same time I was working on this show, James had just started, you know, writing writing stories at DC Comics, and he had just I think he was about to launch his first creator owned book at Boom Studios. So he was really just kind of getting his feet under him in his own career. Um, so I started reading, you know, I, I kind of had two forays into comics. The first was Comic Book Men and The Walking Dead, and the second was as soon as he was working at DC, I was reading every bat book I could get my hands on. <laughs> I, I've interviewed him on this podcast as well, and oh, yeah? and I've also interviewed Scott Snyder, who we'll talk about later on. Yes, sir. Because so it's all good. Yeah, he's uh, uh, James Tynan the Fourth is just one of those great writers, uh, and just amazing stuff that he comes up with. I I always enjoy his work. So you've started off right at the top there. That's, that's really great. <laughs> yeah, I've been very lucky. It's very good because I, I, I do have to give you my Batman story just so we can get that out of the way. I was a kid. I was probably about the age your son was when I went through the cellar of our house and I found a Batman comic there. And Batman was in all pla- of all places in, in England and he was trying to protect a castle. So he built this uh, uh, like glider and put it on his shoulders and stuff so he could fly around the castle and protect it. And, you know, Frank okay. Miller said that he picked up a Batman comic in a drugstore and he opened it up and he fell in. And that was my experience. I read that comic and suddenly I was in uh, in England and I was watching Batman fly around this castle and trying to do stuff. And that's so why I've been a Batman guy ever since. And so it's nice. interesting stuff. It's just everybody has their own story with comics and stuff like that. Now, I should mention though that you're also a founder of Thorny Comics. Yeah, that's my company. So I, so um, on the set of Comic Book Man, a bunch of my friends who were part of the crew on that show, they founded a company called Blue Juice Comics, and they they started publishing. They've published a few books over the years. They do um, Anne Bonny, The Accelerators, and they do a, the most recent one is um, Billy the Kit, which is uh, Justin Gray and Barry McLean are the creators on that one. And um, you know, so they've they've had some success, and they kind of slowed down a little bit um, because of the pandemic, like everybody did. Um, right. And sort of right after the pandemic, I started working with them, um, going to conventions, you know, helping sell their books and kind of getting some of their ongoing series back up and running um, and kind of learning the business. And I decided, you know, I wanted to have my own thing where I could print my own work, work at my own pace and print my own stories um, and also publish stories from, you know, friends of mine that, that had great stories to tell that didn't have a publisher. Um, so I founded Thorny Comics. And the first thing uh, the first thing, the first story we did was um, Cicada Samurai, which is a short story that I wrote. Um, I'm working now on a five issue arc for that story. That went really, that was, that was my first Kickstarter that I did in my own name. Um, and that went really well. And mm. the second one that I'm writing is is the one that's live right now, The Grizzly Crew. That's interesting because, you know, I have, as long as I've been a comics reader, and it's been decades I've been reading comics, I have never been able to make the leap into writing. Yeah. If I do, if I write something, it's very blah. You know, if I I read a great story, like well Scott Snyder, who we'll talk about in a second, he uh, I always love his books because there were such big surprises that I could that made sense, but I had not thought of, and so right. that that to me is just the greatest thing. Now Scott Snyder, of course, there's a, a line in here that says Jerry has been in Scott Snyder's writing workshop for two years, so now he thinks he's a fancy writer. <laughs> God, I sound like such an idiot. Uh, but that is true. That is true. Um, yeah. So Scott Scott runs a a writer's workshop. Uh, it's sort of a writing class through his um, Substack, the Our Best Jacket 
Substack uh, newsletter that he does every. I think there's a one a letter comes out every week, but the class is like I would I would call it semi monthly. Over the last couple of months, you know, since the the TV writer strike ended, he's been like crazy busy, um, and a couple of things have come up, so it doesn't always happen every month. But it used to happen more frequently, um, and he still does it. You know, every so often there's there's like something like fifteen or twenty classes that are available. Um, if anyone does join, but he's, he was always a teacher. That's how, that's actually part of how my cousin got into comics. My cousin was uh, a student at Sarah Lawrence. And I think Scott was a, an artist in residence and Scott was working on, you know, the manuscript that became American vampire and started bouncing ideas off of my cousin. And they kind of became friends in that way. Um, and so, you know, that's how James ended up at DC comics. Um, but Scott has always been a teacher, you know, and so he just loves talking about the craft and um, what I've learned in that class is actually storytelling is kind of this, is very similar throughout um, whatever medium you're writing in. You know, if I'm if I'm all my screenwriting professors in college and and any other, if you pick up a storytelling, you know, a how to tell a story in for film, for television, for novels, for comic book writing, there's a lot of the same rules and it's a lot of the same kinds of, you know, come up with a character you love and figure out how to put things in their way. And, and, and that's like the, the genesis of most of these stories. Um, mm-hmm. Just listening to Scott talk about it. He's had on, you know, Donnie Cates, he's had James on um, Kyle Higgins and Josh Williams. And he's had on all these like amazing people that just talk about the craft. And, mm-hmm. and just through listening to that, I've gleaned a lot of little tidbits of information and, and process and kind of applied it to my own writing. Um, and that's what I've been doing. Great, great. Now, I promise this is going to be the last story I tell you. About okay. this. I, I have a Scott Snyder story. Okay. I was, I, I was, he was just about to start writing on the New 52. Okay. Uh, way, way back, several years ago. And I yes, saw him. He was doing him detective, at, right? He was then doing yes. detective comics. Yep. Yes. Before he I, did Batman. I saw him at Baltimore Comic Con. I went to him. I said, look, I'm a big Batman fan. I would love to talk with you for my podcast. And so, we arranged it and, and I started talking with them. And st- I had done my research. I, I had discovered how he got into certain things. So I got to ask him. He had worked at Disneyland and stuff like right. that. Yep. And was, all that stuff. I knew. So I got to talk with them. I tend to be a little positive when I'm doing stuff. And so I was, I, he, he was really puzzled that uh, people were ordering so high on his uh, Batman number one. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was so scared, and then he said, "Well, I'm just so afraid I'm going to disappoint all these people." Yeah, and I said, "Are you kidding?" I said, "The reason why the numbers are so high is because we're dying to read the stories you're going to tell." Right, and you know all that stuff. So I talked for for quite a while. When we got done, when I got done recording, he said to me, he "says I'm going to give you my private email." He says, "Don't give this to anybody, but whenever you read a Batman book I've written, I want you to email me and tell me what you thought of it." That's great. And, and so I did that for several years. And a couple of years later, I saw him again in Baltimore. And, I, and he saw me. He said, oh, he says, there you are. And I said, I said you know, I, I'm having real trouble coming up with words besi- besides fantastic and wonderful and terrific for the Batman stories you're telling. And he says to me, he says, you know, I'm not having any trouble reading your emails, he goes. Because <laughs> I, I'm, I was always telling him how great it was. And I, right. I, I would be very specific. And I. I told him, if you don't have time to respond, don't respond. You're busy writing. Do that first. And so, now, of course, now I don't do that anymore because he's not writing Batman anymore. But the, it was, right. 
He's, he was so great. I, I just got a huge kick out of it. And I, I would see him at conventions sometimes, and he'd see me, and we'd, our eyes would meet, and I'd just wave my hand and say, hi, because he's got lines out all the way around the building. Of and course. so I just kind of, I just wave hi and stuff like that, because, uh, you know, <laughs> still supporting him as, as much as I can. So of course. He's, he's, he's really great, and he's one of those people where, you know, he'll meet somebody at a convention, and then two, two three years later, he remembers that person, he remembers their name, yeah. and he remembered what they talked about. You know, he's very, very good at that. I don't know how he kind of keeps all that information in his head. It's kind of amazing. I don't know. It just amazed me. Amazed me that he recognized me a couple of years after I, I saw yeah, him. That's, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's like, it's bonkers. And he, he talks about that time all the time about how he felt like a poser when he first started yeah. writing Batman. He was yeah. afraid, terrified. Like, it's a big book. And he's like, oh my God, these people, everything I write, these people are going to hate it. I'm going to get fired yeah. every day. He was waiting to get fired every day, you know? Well, well, of course, then he comes up with the, the Court of Owls, which now right. is a staple part of, of Batman mythology. And yep. He went back and revamped some of Batman's origin and all this stuff. So, God, you know, it's, I, I, there is something about writing because it's a solitary profession. You do it alone, and then when you give it to somebody and they get to read it, that's unnerving. You know, it's like giving your baby to somebody to, to evaluate, and you're going like, yep. oh, they're going to hate it. And it, I, I think he was one of the ones that really struggled a lot with that. So, but I just, you know, it, I, a lot of people I know uh, go through that, but uh, it's just kind of funny. But anyway, Scott Snyder's story. We'll get that out of the way. Now let's talk about the comic because this is really interesting. Have you ever heard of a show called Axe Cop? Um, no. It sounds really familiar, actually, now that you're saying it, though. There's a cop, axe- literally a cop who carries an axe. No. It's a cartoon. It, it's- It's a cartoon, and what it was was the cartoon was developed because the guy who was making it, his son, was the guy that came up with all the stories and the characters. Got it. And I just, and when I was reading the story about your book and how that came to be, I I was like, wow. I said, you know, because sometimes I knew it was really popular on Fox. They would show it on Saturday nights and everybody would be watching it and everybody I knew was talking about it and stuff. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the cast is pretty amazing. Like Ken Marino, Nick Offerman, Rob Hubel. That's a pretty good cast. Yeah. All based on, I think it was a brother, not the son in this one. Yeah. But it was just again. Here's now the story of. Why don't you tell the story rather than me read it? Tell the story of how this book came to be. So it, it was. This was about two years ago, and it was right when um, you know Mid Journey, the artificial intelligence art thing, and it had just come out um, in in a form that anyone could use. So I was on Discord, and like a lot of people, I think I was just checking it out for the first time and trying to figure out if I hated it or if it was the end of civilization or what it was. So I was in my office. And I was just feeding it random, you know, random things. I was actually trying to get out of my head the idea for Cicada Samurai. So I was just, I was just kind of having it generate like bugs with swords and things like that. And then my son walked in, he was six at the time and he was just seeing, saw all these weird images on my screen and he started asking me questions about it. So I told him what it was and he right away said, oh, cool. Can it make a Spider-Man monkey? And I went, hang on. And I typed in, you know, imagine a Spider-Man monkey. And it made like a little gray monkey in a Spider-Man outfit. And he was like, cool. And he goes, what about a minion wizard? And I was like, all right, hold on. Let me see a minion wizard. And um, and then he said a pirate bear. And so I, I plugged in pirate bear. And it generated this like, you know, mid journeys very the AIs are all very bad with faces, or at least they were two years ago. Mm, right. And so it generated this like kind of deformed, scary looking silhouette of a giant bear in a pirate hat. And my son's afraid of bears. Um, so he was just kind of staring at it quietly. 
and I went back to like working on something else and, and like probably like 30 seconds went by and suddenly he goes, dad, his name is captain Grizzly. <laughs> and I went, I was like, what? And he goes, the bear, his bear's name is captain Grizzly. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's good. That's cool. And I went back to what I was doing again. And then he goes, he's the captain of a pirate ship and all the pirates on the ship are bears. <laughs> and I was, and then I realized he, Oh, he's telling me a story and I'm like, Oh, okay. Go. Yeah. Go ahead. What else? And he goes, um, they go around looking for treasure. And when they find the treasure, it looks like gold, but it's not gold. If they squeeze it, it's wax and it's filled with honey. And I was like, what? And he goes, it's called the grizzly crew. And I said, okay, stop talking. And I started writing down everything he was saying. <laughs> and, and from there we just started bouncing fun ideas off of each other. And, and like, I I'm, honestly, I'm embarrassed to say that he's infinitely better at this than me. already. <laughs> um, he, he was like, he came up, he was like, okay, there's a family. I, I, I suggested there's a family of black bears on the boat and they're sort of based on me and my wife and Harlan's sister, Yvonne, Yvonne's middle name is Rose. The bear, the little young bear's name is Rosie. Um, and he said, what about a koala bear? And I was like, well, koala bears, I'm mean, again, like I answer questions and I, and I'll tell my kid, my kids things. So I was like, you know, koala bears aren't really bears. It's a marsupial. It's a totally different kind of animal. And he goes without missing a beat. He goes, well, he's young. So maybe he doesn't know that. And he thinks he's a real bear and he wants to join the grizzly crew. <laughs> and I was like, that's brilliant. It's genius. You know, it's like, it's amazing. Like, oh, hold on, let me write that down. Um, and we started, we started like coming up with all these character descriptions and, and one of them is a big grumpy polar bear. And I was like, why is he grumpy? And he said, because polar bears are always grumpy. And I was like, why, why are they grumpy? He goes, I don't know. He said, pirates are always where it's hot and polar bears like it to be cold. So maybe he's just mad because it's hot all the time and he's sweaty. And I was like, again, hilarious. That's <laughs> so, so we just came up with all these character descriptions. And then I reached out to my buddy, Nick Justice, who's a, a, like a great comic book artist. And he did some character designs um, and we had them colored. And, you know, I started writing a, a story based on this, this thing that he had come up with. And kind of because, because, you know, I think it all came from him looking at a scary image of a bear, which he's afraid of. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted the story to kind of live in that world. So in the story that I wrote based on this thing that we came up with, there's a village. It's being terrorized by pirates. The kids can't sleep because they're afraid that if they go to sleep, the pirates are going to show up again. They're like, the pirates are really scary. And so the dad in the story sits down at night with the kids at bedside and starts telling them a bedtime story. And it's, it's to soothe their fears. And so he tells them, you don't have to worry about those pirates coming back because the parents and I in the village, we got together and we hired the grizzly crew. So they're protecting the village from those pirates. Now it's all good. And the kids are like, dad, come on. Like, what's the grizzly crew? You're making this up. And, and then he starts telling this story and he's, he's kind of making it up as he goes along. Um, and what I like about it is he's, he's an unreliable narrator. So as he's telling the story, you know, he'll make it too scary. It'll get a little out of hand. And then mom has to come in and kind of reset the story and retell <laughs> it a little bit differently. So like the characters will change a little bit during the course of the story, depending on who's, narrating that part of the story um but that's kind of what it is it's about you know the things kids are afraid of and sort of like how we all tell stories to kids to kind of help them sleep at night and that's kind of it's like just the, the underlying thing yeah that's just amazing though it's just because see you know there's right now the, the comics industry is going through a real struggle you know, because if comics are not f for adults, and I mean that not in the, in the better way, but 
kids comics are looked down on all ages stuff and I, oh no that's a that's an all ages book that that's not good and the, the thing that entertains me is like here's your son who's a perfect example of how comics bring something out in the a child's imagination and it just it blossoms and here's this whole story coming out you know i was, I, I i think we got to have more kids involved in making comics because this is just it's just an amazing and wonderful thing to see, because like I said, I got into. I was about his age when I got into into reading comics and stuff like that. Yeah, and it was not nearly as dark as it is now. And so I, when right. I see all ages stuff, I tend to, I, I gravitate towards it because I want to read something that's a good story. Right. I don't. I don't need to be scared or yeah, unhappy. I mean, if you think about a lot of the, a lot of the things I grew up watching, you know, things that when I was a kid are I think we're probably aimed at kids and and those are some of my favorite stories still to this day like Peter Pan to me the entire Peter Pan mythology every version of Peter Pan Hook is one of my favorite movies I don't care who knows it and <laughs> you know and and it, those are all meant for you know families and in all ages that's an Hook is an all ages movie and that mm-hmm. is a that would be a great comic that's a great mm-hmm. story you know mm-hmm. see that that, that. See, storytelling and adventure and stuff like that. When I was a kid, I remember watching on Sunday night when they, and they used to have the wonderful world of Disney. They had taken this Scarecrow movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it had the guy who was uh, a British guy who was uh, like a priest or something. And he would he would put the Scarecrow mask on and go around and, and, and sort of Batman his way through the, the, the countryside and stuff like that. <gasps> I that just I, I I struggled to find copies of it. I could never see it again. If they finally came out with a metal tin of it like about three or four years ago, and I I bought it the second I saw it because yep. I wanted to have a good copy of that. It was it was that there was this adventure stuff, and of course it was a priest of all things doing this kind of stuff, which made it unusual for me. And I I remember thinking, what's he going to do next? I have no idea what he's going to do. So right. see, this is the kind of stuff I think. God, we need so much more of this because the industry really desperately needs new readers, new fans, new people. And I, I, I applaud what you're doing, and and hopefully your son, you know, he may or may not do that coming up, but at least he's been exposed to it. At least. He's already showed an aptitude for it. That's the great thing about it. Yeah, he really enjoys it. And every every day he asks me if there are more pages and anything else to look at. He loves giving notes on the art. He loves to just like <laughs> look at it, whatever jumps. You know, like he he even when we were doing the character designs, um, you know, the little koala bear character was originally drawn with, you know, feet that looked like feet and normal hands. And he was like, no, no, no. He started looking at YouTube videos, like doing research about, about koalas. <laughs> and he was like, his feet should be more like hands. They have to be able to grip things. Cause that's why he's a good climber. And his hands have two thumbs. And I had no, I'm like two thumbs. And I had to look it up. Koalas have two thumbs. I had no idea. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, so, so he, he's really, really into the process and it, it's amazing. Cause he's only eight years old. Um, I will say, I think that what you're saying about comics in, in kind of a hard time, I think that like the traditional idea of, you know, a, a monthly floppy is that is definitely struggling because if you're mm-hmm. not, if you're not drawing or writing, you know, one of the superhero stories or an indie that is a huge indie at a big indie publisher, you know, the, the local shops, they really can't take a risk on picking up your book. It's just hard for them to do that. And right. that's a, that's that's a shame. But I will say that because of that, you know, those indie comics, those floppies, they don't come out every month, but they are 
thriving on places like Kickstarter and you know Indiegogo and Zoop. And and they're also I would say the genre is also kind of thriving in different forms. You know, like the most popular books among kids, um, nine and ten years old is like Captain Underpants and, and mm-hmm. all those. And those are basically comic books, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a weird transitional time. I would say I don't know mm-hmm. if the whole thing is struggling. It's definitely a weird time. And if you're if you're kind of a staunch traditionalist about comics are supposed to be this and they're supposed to come out every month like you're going to be frustrated i know i'm frustrated you know it's 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 just a hard time to to get a normal comic book in the store on a shelf Mm -hmm. um but but there's lots of other opportunities well i get more comics almost in the mail now than i do in the comic shop but the the truth of the matter is is like well see anime now is a big deal and i there was a book called amulet i don't know if you ever heard of it oh yeah Uh, I I was at a uh, about ten years ten twelve years ago I was at a comic shop, and the guy behind the counter because he who knew me really well said you should be reading this book and he picked up Amulet I said what I said oh no and of course this was twelve years ago and of course female leads were like nah and right. so I said there's a female character in the lead that's not going to be a good story it's got elves and stuff I'm not for fantasy he says you need to buy this book. And again, yep. once again, you know, here I have, like with Walking Dead, I, I buy the book, I take it home, and I'm going, are there any more? And so I bought and bought and bought. What was really interesting is number eight came out like four years ago, I think. Number nine just came out. I couldn't wait to get number nine in my hand so I could sit and read it. Yep. And, you know, I, I we need more of that, I think, in the industry, not yeah, less. Totally. That's a place where I think that I was conditioned to kind of expect a female lead in the stories because one of the, again, one of my, my, my geek thing when I was a kid was always TV. And so, you know, I watched all the Star Trek shows with my mom. So, mm-hmm. you know, Captain Janeway on Voy- mm-hmm. on Voyager, that was like one of my first Star Trek captains was a woman. And, um, you know, my, one of my favorite shows when I was in high school was, and, and, and later in all through college was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I was, I was kind of conditioned to expect and kind of gravitate towards those strong female lead characters. Um, so that wouldn't have thrown me, but that's, I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the artwork for Amulet now. It looks awesome. This is another one. I'm going to put this on my list. It's amazing. I, I I actually got to talk with the creator. I went to San Diego several years back, San Diego Comic Con, and I saw him there. And I, as soon as I saw him, and I saw, you know, they have banners up behind that show you what the books are. I went, I stopped, and I went gasp. And he looked up at me. I said, "You make Amulet." And he goes, "Yeah, I love that book." And he goes, "Really?" And I went, I spent the next fifteen minutes telling him how much I love the book and stuff like that. Now, I always have to explain. People get, "Well, you don't like female leads. What's the matter with you?" Well, twelve years ago, I was still conditioned male leads, and I understood male leads because they tend to do certain things, and I understood all that. When there's a female lead, and of course now I love it, I have no yeah. idea what they're going to do. I don't know right. what a woman is going to do in those circumstances. Guys, I got it figured out. I've read that story for uh, decades. So I like actually now I'm, I much prefer female leads because they're a lot more fun because I don't know what they're going to do. So yeah, that's, I'm just, no, it's, I agree it's funny totally. how we change. But but I, I like the fact that Jimmy is a, is a koala bear. He's something a little different than the rest of the crew. I think that is really smart. I, all the things about I, I couldn't figure out what the humans had to do. With yeah, it. I mean, they're, they're you know, so basically, it it starts as the story, and so as the parents are telling the story throughout, by the by the end of the first arc, it's unclear 
it be, it's like kind of a fun thing. It's unclear if this ship full of bears exists in the real world or not. Mm-hmm. You know, if, a- if like if they were just making it up, or is it the kind of thing they're making up because it's an old story that that has been passed down, and maybe it is a real thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so but but the humans are it's just a human world, and they're they're living in it. And the uh, the villains, the main uh-huh. villain, is also a a boat full of anthropomorphic animals. So it's all animals that are kind of like wolves. So there's mm-hmm. Captain Wolfhard, who's an Arctic wolf. He's on one of the covers in the campaign. And um, there's, you know, there's a couple of other characters on that ship that are, one's a fox, one looks a little bit like Wiley Coyote. Um, you know, he's sort of a coyote character. Um, it's, 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 apart from those two ships, though, almost everybody else is human. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, the artwork, there's several pages. If you go to the Kickstarter page, and, and again, at the, the top, it's the Grizzly Crew, number one, a new comic about pirate bears. If you go, there's several sample pages, and the parents start to tell the story of the, sh- the ship full of bears. And I love the look of the two children in the bottom right of that yeah. page. They're like, oh, brother. <laughs> yeah. If I could have, I wish I had a photo reference. I, I could have, if I could have taken that photo, you know, of my own children <laughs> looking at me, like telling them anything, literally anything mm-hmm. in the world, just like that. Come <laughs> on, you know, get out of here. <laughs> so I think that that is so great. The, see, humor is something we've lost in comics too. I have to say, so I, I'm I'm so happy to see something that makes me smile and laugh out loud. Now that leads me to a question, though. You yeah. said that uh, the the bears are based on like members of your family. Are a you few, any, a lot of them are yeah. Are you any of the bears? Are you one? Of I'm them? so the the claw family, which is Papa, Mama, and Rosie. That's that's me, my wife, and my daughter. Ah. So Rosie's my daughter. So Rosie is a ten year old black bear. Mm-hmm. Um, she is you know because her parents are both members of the Grizzly Crew. She is stuck on this ship with these pirates, but she really ah. wants to like be on land and go to school and be an engineer. So she's kind of a brilliant little inventor. Um, mm-hmm. And that's based on my daughter, who is a, a brilliant little whatever she wants to be that day. She wants to be an astronaut baker. That was like <laughs> that's been her dream for the last five years. So um, I don't know what that is. If it's a baker who's an astronaut or an astronaut who bakes, I don't know. But that's her dream. <laughs> um, and then you know, I'm I'm Papa Bear. Papa's the chef on the on the on the ship. Uh, he's also a pacifist. Yeah, so he, doesn't, I saw that. he doesn't he doesn't like to carry a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mama is the first mate. And she's the fierce. She's the smallest of the bears that fight, but she's the fiercest fighter. Hmm. Wow! See all these. I love all this stuff. That all the the nuance to each of the characters is really fun. About it. it makes it really kind of see. But this is what I think. You know, too often I think in some books they're all standard. But yeah. see, what you've done is you've made the characters <clears throat> individuals, and I think that that's not only good for, for those of us who are adults and like to read and like to see these kinds of things. I think it's good for kids to see that because that to realize that just because you're part of a group doesn't mean that they're all the same. Right. So and, I like and, that. and that you can kind of pick your own people. You know, like mm-hmm. Jimmy. The long term story with Jimmy, the the koala bear, is he joins the crew because he's kind of an orphan. And so what you find out much later in the story is about you know how what happened to his family and how he ended up in that village trying to stow away with the with the grizzly crew and trying to join them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and he ends up being kind of a surrogate part of the family, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like it's that thing that a lot of stories tell. I think this kind of story where it's like you you are born into a family and that's the family that you're given. But in life, your friends, the people you choose to live your life with, that's the family you choose and the family you make. And so even though Jimmy's family that he was given it, you know, when he was born 
is not around anymore. He's chosen these like, you know, this mishmash of kind of like goofy characters um, mm-hmm. to, to latch onto and to make them his family. Hmm. Um, and it, you know, over the course of the story, they'll he'll become a very important part of that family. Hmm. That's so interesting because the family that I was born into, uh, my mom was a big science fiction fan, so my my twin brother and I were science fiction fans. Uh, the rest of us, no. And hmm. when we moved out of the area, we joined a Star Trek club. And, oh, nice. And my sister was always, you go and get your, talk to your Trekkie friends if you want something. <laughs> and I was always like, because, well, you know, she's jealous of the fact that, that we have this, here I have this, found this other family to belong to, who right. when I say the stuff and talk, and spout the language, they understand, you know, and stuff yep. like that. She don't get it. And so she feels a little left out with all that. So I, I always find like that, that business about having more than one family is really something cool. So I'm glad to hear that in this book. Is this great? So, so uh, the first one is, is uh, how far along are you with the very first issue? So the first issue, the script is done. Um, the artist is, uh, we've drawn, uh, there are 10 pages that are fully inked. He's still working on the inks for the last 10. And then the Kickstarter so that we can kind of finish the art and the lettering and print. That's what the Kickstarter is to fund. So we're on pause until it funds. And then, um, he's got, you know, we end at the end of February. He's got the month of March kind of blocked out to finish this book. Okay, so he'll okay. be printing in early April, you know, by the time it ships to me and I ship it back out to everybody. I gave myself until June, I think, to um, to deliver the actual story. But I think it'll be sooner than that. Great. Greg, well, the goal is $2,500. And as we're talking, you're about uh, two-thirds of the way there, I think. Yes, sir. So this is the time to jump on. So when this post, it's going to be it's going to be crunch time. So we got to get out there and make sure that this book happens because it just looks like a very fun, <laughs> and enjoyable. I, the word romp keeps coming into my head. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Just, and and I'll say too, in the campaign, a lot of um, what I did is all of the almost all of the add on opportunities are art commissions from Nick, from my, from my artist on the book. So if you support the book at any level, even if you don't want the book and you want to pay $1 towards the book to unlock these commission opportunities, um, you can do that. And one of the things is he's selling his cover art, his line art for the cover on his, you know, his original 11 by 17 board that he drew the cover on. So that's for sale as an add on. And other than that, you can choose, you know, if you pick any character you want from any cartoon, any comic book, you know, keeping it PG rated, it's a kid's, it's a kid's campaign, guys. Um, <laughs> you know, Nick will draw that for you and you can ask for it in black and white or color, 5 by 8 or 11 by 17. So there's a lot of really cool opportunities to get some original art in this campaign too and support the project. You know, I have to say that there's, there's several uh, commission possibilities on there. The, the far right one is they're just coming out with a new book with Space Ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I just read that. He just He's making a comeback. Yeah, Dynamite. Uh, David uh, Pepos, who I've interviewed on here, he was he's going to be writing it. He's doing uh, several good books and, and all kinds of good stuff. And, of course, my roommate is big on Bumble. Why? I oh, don't yeah. know, but he likes Bumble. So we, I might have to go after that. And, of course, you've got one of my favorite characters from the animated uh, Batman, the animated series, the Grey Ghost. Yep. Who, who was voiced by Adam West, who it was just genius. I, I, God, that was just that episode particularly. Of course, you've got Batman, the animated series and stuff in there. And so there's just all, oh, all kinds of wonderful. And, and the art is gorgeous. I do have to say. 
He's great. Wow. He's really great. He's very talented. He's kind of a quiet guy, so he doesn't he doesn't like shop from the rooftops and promote himself all the time. Yeah. Um, but he's he's amazing. And so uh, any any chance I I can get to kind of put his work in front of people and and just shout from the rooftops for him that he's amazing, I take those opportunities. And th- and this was one of them. I think, you know. Uh, if 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 I can if I can help keep him busy for a few months, all the commission money, all the add-on money goes straight to him. You know, the campaign, the book. I am not keeping any of that. So you're basically buying a commission directly from him, um, and supporting an indie comic artist and an indie comic book at the same time. Okay, I'm looking through the the stuff right now. Oh, all gone. Some of them are all gone already. Um, uh, is there any way? Because I often like to. I did this one time. There was a book. It was about a zombie Moby Dick. Believe it or not, and if you paid a certain amount, you got written in or drawn in as a member of the ship. The ship was full of zombies that was chasing after Moby Dick too, and so I, I actually could afford it at that time. So I paid for the to get on there and, and I, but I didn't I, I couldn't see myself so I contacted the the guy behind it I said where am I I'm not in there well he didn't put glasses on because I'm a, I'm a zombie so I oh <laughs> you're you're down in the left car there I am I said okay great great oh man uh, are you guys thinking maybe in future ones maybe they have Maybe people have a level where somebody can donate and become a a member of a crew or member oh, yeah. of something. We- we were throwing that around a lot. We were um, we were throwing around lots of ideas like that, where you could you could kind of pick another animal. Like, what's another animal that would be um, end up being kind of a character down the road? Either somebody that the pirate crew has to visit, or another pirate, or something. Um, and kind of that that would be a fun one. Or like you said, like you could be you could be a character drawn into it. You could be one of the evil pirates they're fighting. They're humans. <laughs> See any if it's possible. I don't know if he can do it. Can he draw an animal face that kind of resembles a person's face? I, I mean, I fine. think so. I think it's that's a challenging thing to do for sure. Yeah. Um, but but I think you know I think so. Yeah, it could could be fun. I mean, oh my gosh, absolutely, that'd be, that'd be a great thing. So th- this has all kinds of amazing possibilities. I have to say, and uh, again, it's the Grizzly Crew number one, a new comic about pirate bears. It, it will only be funded if it reaches its goal by Wednesday, February twenty eighth at nine fifty nine a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I love the the whole the the backstory, the the, the characters, the art, the whole thing. To me, just sings, and I I hope. Hope we get a lot of people. I hope you shoot right into the stretch goals and and make all kinds of good things. Gosh, this looks like it's. I haven't said the word fun with comics in a long time. This looks like a fun comic, and I have to congratulate you for for going that route because we could sure stand some more fun comics. Thank you, Wayne. I appreciate it. So once again, it's the Grizzly Crew number one, a new comic about pirate bears, and I highly encourage you to go out there and support this book, and because I want to see more of the Grizzly Crew. You, but before I let you go, uh, two questions. Yes, sir. Do you know how many issues you're going to do in the first arc with them? I have five planned out. I think that's the first story. I think okay. that's the first arc. Okay. Second thing, are you planning to go to any conventions? Uh, I don't have a plan right now. I wanted to have before I do that. Before I think it's worth it to do that, I'd, I'd like to have more books. I'd like to have more cop, more issues of these stories, or you know, another story or something like that. Like that, I can mm-hmm. that I can do. I actually have another Kickstarter going for something I'm publishing but didn't write, and that's an anthology of short stories by other people who are in Scott Snyder's class. 
Uh, and that, you know, that's a, that's going to be like 50 or 60 pages long. So, you know, once that's printed and this is printed and Thorny Comics has a few other things that are close to trade paperback, I think that that at that point, maybe a year from now, I would start looking at tabling a little bit more often at shows. Because this would be perfect. I, have you ever seen those smaller sizes, kind of anime size? This oh, would yeah. be perfect for one of those size books. I, you know, I thought about that. So there's a there's a there's a, a Kickstarter uh, book that I that actually Image picked up, and they're doing. I think they're doing a paperback version. It's called Grizz Grobus. Have you seen that one? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. It's great. It's very, you talk about fun. It's like a fun, it's on a, it takes place on a foreign planet. Um, I think the comic itself is black and white. It came as a hardcover. It's mm-hmm. a great little, it's a really nicely printed book. It's like a fabric hardcover um, binding. It's, it's so nice. And the story is just fun. There's like, it's hard to get into, but there's like, you know, a, a robot who is kind of an old version of a robot and his job is to feed people some disgusting root vegetable. Um, it was to, it, back in the day, it would keep people safe, but now it just comes back to life and all it can do is feed you this disgusting root vegetable. And, but there's a whole other space story going on and it's really like a ton of fun and, and um, image comics picked it up. I think they're, they're running it, but, okay. but it's that size. It's like a five and a half by eight yeah. and a half size book. Yeah, um, that's you know it's a that, it's a little bit bigger than like a Dogman or a Captain yeah. Underpants. It's around that size though. Yeah, but that that seems to be the size, and I don't know why. I want my books to be big. I want them, I want them triple that size. I want the huge right. versions. But the kids somehow they get to carry it around in their backpacks and stuff. It seems to be a, a bigger deal. Now, one last thing: are are you on social media? Is the Grizzly Crew on social media? If anybody wants to follow. I am. So I'm at Thorny Comics. Um, I'm primarily on Facebook and uh, Instagram. I also have Twitter. I use it less frequently. Um, and I haven't really expanded into, you know, Blue Sky or TikTok or any of those other things yet. Um, but the main thing is Instagram and Facebook. And I'm the only, I'm at Thorny Comics in both places. Okay. Well, if your son wants to go to work with you someday, you might want to take him with you and see what other ideas he has in mind because he's he's off to a great start and so are you i think this is the grizzly crew number one such a great thing keep it up and i hope i get to see many more if i see you and your son's name on any book i'm going to be sure to buy it thank you wayne i appreciate it so keep it up and i'll look forward to next time hopefully when another issue comes out we'll have to talk again maybe i'll get some progress as to how things are going with you so keep it up okay thank you sir i appreciate it thanks for having me on i really really appreciate it love talking about it People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Count Dingo and the Marauders are a team of misunderstood evil mutants bent on world domination, whose diabolical plans range from robbing local credit unions, boy, they, they need that, to unleashing a biological disaster that will rid the planet of all non-mutants. After Jerry, Cannon Bulk Patton, 
and Clarence Bounder Barrett make a mistake that leads to another defeat at the hands of the mutant superhero team, the Paladins, the two deadweights are unceremoniously dumped from the team. Realizing that they are not cut out for world conquest, Jerry and Clarence <laughs> don pants. I find that that's a great thing. And try to pursue ordinary lives. But going straight is not as easy as it seems. Deadwakes takes a hard look at what happens after the fight. When the villains are tired of being villains and the heroes aren't as heroic as what they want you to think they are. And talking right now with the writer, Tyrone Finch, who has previously done Swine and Station 19. And this book, Dead Weights, is coming out from uh, Ahoy Comics, and it's uh, being released on April 10. So there's time to let your local shop know that uh, you want to be sure to get this book. And I, I, I'm doing that right up front because people criticize me because I get into the story and then I don't give all that vital information. So, uh, Tyrone, how are you doing today? I am great tonight, Wayne. How are you? I'm doing good, good. Uh, so, Deadweights, I, I happen to do a, a lot of Ahoy comic reading. I really like it all because there's so many books I could sit here and list a whole bunch of them, but that would take up the whole interview. So, uh, we'll stick with this uh, book. I, I, it's called A Buddy Comedy About Two Unlucky Henchmen Trying to Make Their Way in the World. Which I kind of like. And then uh, another thing is, you, there's a quote from you in a news release that I got a kick out of. Uh -oh. Deadweights is about friendship. It's the story of two people who have been rel relentlessly beaten, battered, tossed off bridges, and forced to live in hideouts with no electricity or plumbing. Somehow the two of them have never given up on each other or their dreams. Uh, I, I like that whole bit. It's about there. Of course, I, like I said, I like the, the whole... the, the I got to read a few preview pages, and that whole that part that made me laugh was about how they don pants. <laughs> that's part of the, the the pages that I got to see. Now I don't know if that's the beginning, or is that? Uh, uh, of course, you won't know because you don't know which pages I got to see. But uh, I got to see some pages, and one what happens is is in, in the pages we see, and I don't want to spoil too much, but. We see sort of the aftermath of a battle, and uh, the people, the lady in charge is not very pleased with how the battle went, and they land on the ground, the, 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 all the, they do, and they, they kind of find themselves getting tough, getting, they've had a tough go of it, and they start to, like all good groups do when they lose, they start to argue amongst themselves. Yes. And uh, the, the leader takes off her helmet and basically says, she goes, she says, we're going to make some changes. You know, the team lacks synergy. And she turns to the one uh, called cannon bulk, blonde haired fella. and says, you're fired. And then of course his buddy stands up and says, there's no way cannon bulk, you know, way cannon bulk is the heart of the team. And, and uh, cannon bulk says, bounder, it's okay. And then <laughs> he tries to speak for other members of the team, which doesn't go over well. And the group takes off and leaves the two of them there. And they start to talk amongst themselves. And we begin to realize that poor old Cannonball is tired of all this. And it's this, this is something that we don't get to explore very often, the aftermath. So I really like the, that this book's about that. People say all the time, We've done everything that we can possibly do when it comes to superheroes and supervillains. 
And I dare say that dead weight shows that there are aspects of all this that we still can explore and still enjoy the, the humanity of what's going on. So I like so why don't you tell me, Tyrone, where did the idea for dead weights come from? Oh, okay. Um, the idea for dead weights is probably something that's been floating around in my head for years. Um, I, gr- I grew up on comic books like so many people, uh, everything, you know, mostly mainstream. You know, Batman, Superman you know, were like chief among the things I would read, Spider-Man. I, I was not dedicated to DC or Marvel. I would read everything. And one of the things that always fascinated me about certain team-ups was the idea that the villains consistently lost and kept coming back for more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's easy to go back to the playing field or the battlefield if you're constantly winning, but to continue to lose consistently and still try to m- maintain a cohesive group just struck me as those, they're either very good friends or they're very determined. And so mm-hmm. the idea of exploring the, the relationships between those people who are constantly losing has been uh, just something that's been rattling around in my brain for a while. Um, and then the idea that all of those losses could be attributed to the incompetence of a couple of those members. It's like, well, just fire them, <laughs> which is <laughs> where we kick off here. And I can tell you that whatever pages you read, finding pants and keeping them is one of the ongoing quests of these two characters now that they've decided to give up villainy. Because <laughs> the pages that I saw, um, they end up, they're left someplace by these other group, and they, uh, the one decides he doesn't want to be a, a, a supervillain or even involved with any of this kind of stuff anymore. And they walk off, and they, they end up on one side of the road, and they actually come across some clothes that are being dried out on a clothesline. Okay. And of course, and and he actually, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't want to spoil that, but that's a kind of a fun part there where, where things start to take shape. And I get a huge kick out of it. Is that uh, um, the, the, the one guy wants to, Cannonball wants to, to leave the whole business behind. But the other one's not so certain about that. So they part of what's going on is their discussion between each other as to what to do next. Well, well and, Bomber isn't fully committed to going straight just yet. I mean, the idea of subjugating uh, the human race still appeals to him on, to, on some level. Um, but the fact is, over several years, they have been getting you know their butts kicked, and it just doesn't seem to be happening for them. And Cannonball is finally coming to the realization that it's probably not going to happen. And so he's willing to step away, put on some pants, try to find a job, rent an apartment, and just live. Um, one of the ongoing problems with that, though, is that they don't really have any marketable skills in that they've spent the greater portion of their adult lives trying to subjugate the human race. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the one thing I get a kick out of is that, uh, um, you know, he says to uh, Cannonball basically says, he said, it was a nice dream, but it's not going to happen. And then uh, the other guy quotes Nelson Mandela. <laughs> as, uh, apparently he's want to do, he's, he apparently quotes uh, famous people based on 
on what's going on. And of course, the one thing we need to mention is the fact that neither of them have pants on. They have, you know, the underwear kind of shorts kind of stuff on, which I always, I always get mad when they show Batman and he doesn't have his pants on, as I like to say. He needs to, you know, he'll have these long gray things, but nothing over the, uh, as they say, the, the bits in the UK. And I always want them to have something over that. And when Batman doesn't have that, I, I always am happy to see when there's shadows covering that part of it. <laughs> but they only have, they both have trunks on. And so they are, and, and uh, the, uh, Jerry has decided he wants to get pants. And when he sees these pants hanging on a clothesline, he decides he's going to make a beeline for him. But there's a problem. And that's kind of where things start to get really interesting. And that's kind of the last page that I've seen is, okay. is when they are when when they're starting to leave that that area. So anyway, just so you know where I've been because it's, I know exactly where you are now. It's fun. It, it's it's great. I I love when characters are human. Yeah. Well, I, and so f- what you read in the in with a little bit I did for the press release in terms of this being a story about friendship. Uh, I I sincerely believe that at the very heart of this, the humanity of these two characters comes across best when you see their friendship. Um, the idea that one stood up for the other as he was being fired, that the uh, that one was willing to, okay, if he's fired, I'm gone. They've, they've been through so much adversity together throughout their lives that that's not the sort of bond that's easily broken. So as you as we go through the book, I think the conflict between them and the rest of the world is something that might seem very familiar in comic books. You know, villains against good guys who can hit hardest. The conflicts that erupt between two people who are ostensibly best friends are the th- is are those are the things that I, I'm I'm, want, I'm most interested in examining. Hmm. Now, I, I've got to ask. Uh... Uh, Jerry is, as I said, he's blonde, so he's Caucasian. Uh, Bounder is, is a person of color, shall yep. we say? So I, I find that an interesting relationship uh, because you know I, I grew up in a largely Caucasian area, and when I went to a bigger city, we ended up hanging around people who were interested in Star Trek and other science fiction. And one of them was a, a person of color, and we got to be really good friends because we had things in common. So I'm I'm certain there are things that these guys have in common, and that's why they're friends. As, as far as uh, obviously uh, Jerry has heard um, uh, Clarence quote people in the past because it, it, he quickly says, "Okay, I give up." Who said that? <laughs> Which made me laugh because you know obviously that means he's done this in the past and he knows he's not gonna, he's never gonna guess it. So he may as well just say, "Okay, who is it?" <laughs> Which I got uh, a kick of, and they. They climb up a hill in order to, to find the pants, which, of course, just made me laugh. The whole business. He, the best part is he finds somebody's pants that actually fits. That was the part that I – I always wonder how people do that. You know, you go out and all of a sudden you, know, you come across somebody who's like a guard or something, and you knock that person out, and the clothes actually fit you. How, how does that always – I never have had that happen with me where I'm in some place where I don't know anybody and – the clothes actually fit when somebody offers them to me. Uh, it never happened. So I got a kick out of that right away. There's that moment though, in one of the Indiana Jones films, it might be last crusade where he knocks out one where Indiana Jones knocks out one guard, 
like and the war and the his uniform doesn't quite fit so he has to knock out another guard <laughs> I, forget. I should know which indiana jones it was friends of mine are going to be very upset that i don't but it was one of them <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are you known for quoting famous people as 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 Cl- uh, clarence kind of Based on you, or uh, uh, see, yeah, I, I also like to know where characters came from. Um, so I think there's a little bit of me in pretty much every character I've ever written. Um, I am not prone to quoting famous people. What I enjoy about that moment is that it demonstrates that you can quote almost anyone out of context. You know, <laughs> the, the Nelson Mandela quote he uses is perfectly appropriate for a situation where you're telling people never to give up. Mm-hmm. But what he's asking Jerry not to give up is the quest to subjugate the human race. Kind <laughs> 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 of funny. Kinda. But, uh, but, but the characters come from like different parts of my own personality and the friendship between Clarence and Jerry is in part rooted in, in friendships I've had or, or very close friendships that I've had. I mean, I, I find friendships amazing and, and, and wonderful, just how you fall into them and how powerful they can become. And that's what I wanted to put inside of these two characters. Because hmm. uh, as I said, uh, you know, uh, th- this friend of mine and I, probably, we were just two uh, basically opposites. Uh, he grew up in the inner city. I grew up in the in the in, in the suburbs. He we used to watch The Wire, and they would say things that I had no idea what they just said. <laughs> and I would turn to him and say, "What'd they say?" And he would explain it to me what it was. And then we would watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he had no clue what they were talking about. And so he would turn to me and say, "What was that?" And I I tell him, "Okay, in high school, this this this." this kind of stuff and so we had to translate for the other person so they could understand the experience that we were watching so i i I get a huge kick out of that i'm always interested when people who have some things in common but not everything how they become friends and what it is that makes them stay friends because i was kind of puzzled that he actually that the clarence didn't go with the other folks i mean obviously she fires Cannonbulk, but uh, and he wants to go, but Clarence chooses his friend over the group, which I thought was an interesting development. Is is that going to be explained as we go along? Uh, there will there will be a deeper explanation of why their friendship is so powerful. Um, I, I without spoiling anything, I will say we will flash back at some point to an, one of their earliest meetings, um, which will help explain that. And there will be, then there will be. A, they will reference a couple of incidents from their past where you understand why they are so close. Hmm, okay, because friendship is something I think is greatly undervalued. Oh yeah, you know when it, when it comes to movies and stuff, everything has a sexual basis to it. Seems to me, and I'm always kind of like you know I I I have more fun around my friends than I do around anybody who's a sex partner and stuff because. You know, sex is something you don't do all day. But if you're friends with somebody, if you had things that you you share, you can talk about these things off and on during the day and stuff like that. So, I'm, to me, I always think friendship is, is something so much more to be valued. But uh, not well, everybody thinks that intimacy. way. I mean, there, there's the intimacy of, you know, your, your sexual partners. 
And if you're fortunate, you also have an intimate relationship that, you know, with that same person that doesn't necessarily require that. But yeah, intimacy takes all sorts of forms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really kind of fun. Now, I'm just sort of curious as to uh, how did you uh, end up, uh, or did you choose Sebastian Pires as the uh, uh, the artist, or did Ahoy bring that person to you? How did you that person get involved? Well, I did not choose Sebastian. I, I'm ecstatic that he's involved. Um, my comic book experience is rather limited at this point. So I look at art, and because I can't draw at all, any art I see, like, that's amazing. That's also amazing. Wow, that's amazing. So oftentimes when I write something, I don't know. And I've asked you know, people at Ahoy, how do you figure out what art belongs with what script? And for them, it's just instinctive. They sort of know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did not pick Sebastian. I was fam- familiar with his work. But actually, Sarah Litt, uh, after she started the editor on the book, after she saw a couple of the scripts, suggested, you know, I think Sebastian would be perfect for this. And I said, okay, let's, let's see if Sebastian wants to do it. And he said yes. And getting art when it shows up in the email, it's, it's always like Christmas morning or it's always like your birthday. Mm-hmm. You, you open it, it's like, oh, my God, this is gorgeous. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it's mm-hmm. he's done a phenomenal job some of the in every issue he sends me i'm always able to find a couple oh, that's such a beautiful image i wish there no words had to go over this in any way <laughs> because his character well, i have to say so expressive sometimes yeah well my, my favorite thing the thing that sold me on his art was the panel when ken bulk is told you're fired Oh, the expression yeah. on his face got me. Uh, you know, his eyes kind of, you know, get large. And he, he, his mouth is a straight line. It's not smile or unhappy or any. It's just a, oh, kind of a look. And, and it's very nicely done. And yes, I, there's I, some things you haven't seen yet that are coming up that Sebastian just nails. They're just, just, just perfect in, in capturing how characters feel without any dialogue whatsoever necessary in the panel. I mean, there were, there were lines. I would just, Oh, let's just cut all this. Cause Sebastian brought it across in the art. We don't need any words here. So. Wow. What was that like as a writer though? But I have to say, cause writers, you know, I'm, I'm convinced some writers get paid by the word. <laughs> sometimes I open, I turn a page and I look and there's this gray blob and there's this one person's face at the bottom of it. And I go, well, you know, I'm never going to bother to read that. I'll just go on. They'll, if there's anything important, they'll tell me about it later. And I've changed the page. But uh, I know, and I could mention certain writers by name, but I won't, who do that thing all the time. And I, I, I think that the perfect comic has the right number of words and the right artwork with it. And I think that's what this one, this one has some great and wonderful, you know, uh, the one thing that's important in comics is for you to go from one panel to the other and your brain fills in what happens in between. Yeah. And that's what happens with this book a lot. There's just, it switches through as we go from panel to panel. I am just, I'm catapulted right 
from one panel to the other. And I think that's really nicely done. I think that, that Sebastian did a, a beautiful job of, of, of making my brain work along those lines. So I thought it was just a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I could not agree with you more. So, so, so happy that he's drawing this book. Mm-hmm. Who, is he also doing the colors? Uh, yeah. Oh, he's got okay, a, and his palette, is, and I will say this, his palette was something I never imagined for this book, and it works so beautifully for this book. You know how warm, how warm the book is with, with, the, with the colors he's chosen. It's just I would never have in my in my in my imagining of the book I would have never pictured it as warm as he's drawn it, and it's beautiful. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I, I I don't want to spoil too much, Uh-oh. but once they get to the, the last page, that I can see. Let's just say that the 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 person who owns the pants or is responsible for the pants shows up. To always say, and I, I'm curious as to how that person is going to be involved moving forward in the story. Can you talk about that character at all? Uh, oh, what I should we know about that character as opposed I, to what we shouldn't know? I don't know what I can say that won't spoil something. Um, okay. what, I, what I can say in general, though, is in exploring this story, particularly since these are two char- characters who have certain, you know mutant abilities in their effort to step away from villainy, they find themselves surrounded by far more people who don't possess any sort of special abilities whatsoever. They find themselves among people. They find themselves amongst <clears throat> people that they have all always held, you know, in contempt and <clears throat> it, it, it affects them. Hmm. Uh, and the person you are referring to who is responsible for the pants uh, is one of those people. Hmm. That's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to see how that goes. Now, you have reminded me of something I wanted to be sure to ask about. Uh-oh. In the paragraph that I read, there's a phrase that, that I, I've got to ask about. A team of misunderstood evil mutants. <laughs> how can evil mutants be misunderstood? Uh, <laughs> That's what I would like to know. Okay. I think from their perspective, they're misunderstood. It, oftentimes, it feels as though, I mean, if you, if you read uh, any book that has good mutants battling evil mutants, that, uh, like, the perspective, it, it, I guess it, it's a question of perspective. Oftentimes, it seems to me that evil mutants are just fighting for some measure of respect, whereas good mutants are fighting to maintain a status quo, which, which oftentimes, I guess, depending if you're within that battle, how do you reconcile those? You know, like you're fighting for a status quo that, you know, doesn't necessarily benefit us at all. You know, we're still sort of as mutants, you know, we're we're segregated to a different school. We're looked upon differently. Um, what 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 is the solution where some sort of equity is achieved between say mutants and non mutants? We're talking we're talking fairly lofty about comic books now, where ultimately <laughs> like who can hit hardest? But mm-hmm. uh, e- evil oftentimes seems like are they really that evil? I mean, yes, some of the plans are obscenely evil, but underneath that, with these particular characters like Jerry and uh, Clarence. You know, all they want is like an apartment in New York that they can afford. 
<laughs> Good luck on that one. <laughs> well, what are the challenges they will face? <laughs> oh my goodness! It's uh, see the see to me, evil mutants are are rarely misunderstood. They they have diabolical plans, as you say, and they they want to rob credit unions and, and unleash biological disasters. I, I understand that. <laughs> I don't. I I don't necessarily think that's misunderstood. But I think what you're pointing at is the humanity of these characters. That they are they're doing things, but they may not be doing it for the reasons that we think they are. You know something? There's a book. Oh, I wish I could remember the name. Who wrote it? I'm so I'm so sorry I can't. But it was an old Marvel fanfare um, that featured. It was a Hulk story. But it also featured uh, Eunice and the Blob, and the start of the story before Hulk shows up and starts, you know, knocking them around, is that it's one of the stories in which Eunice's power has got gone out of control and he can't control it, and nothing can get near him. And the book opens with Blob wading through Eunice's force field to feed him, because Eunice can't even feed himself at this point, <laughs> and. That is the sort of level of friendship between mutants that are typically thought of as evil. It's like, wow, that's something. It's like my 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 friend can't feed himself; no one else can. I have to plot through his force field with a, a silver tray and hand feed him because he can't even hold the feed himself. While at the same time swearing to him, I'm going to catch one of those X Men and find a cure for this. And then Hulk shows up, and it turns into a battle, but. Just that sort of opening is there is some humanity to these characters that are usually and typically portrayed as simply evil. Hmm. Okay. So I, I like that. And it, it's also described as a comedic action filled six issue series. Uh, on some of us, are, and, I, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, it was the old Justice League International from uh, Kate Giffen and things like that. Those. I remember one time I'm reading this terrible, terrible, dangerous situation. They're on this planet and they've been reduced in size and they're stuck in this robot of a person of a color. And somehow they have to get through the city in this robot. And so they don't know how to run the controls. And so the legs are flailing and the arms are flailing. And they're going down the street and this other person of color yells out, keep on trucking. Because it's like, I had to stop reading the book for five minutes. I last saw it. And this is in the middle of a terrible danger thing. But that's, I, I think the best comic comic uh, books can do that to you. They can move you from terrible danger into, you know, thigh slappingly hilarious things and, and do it well. And I think that's one of the great things this book is I'm looking forward to is the, how the comedy parts are going to are going to do because I understand the, the the people basically and so what they do moving forward is going to be a lot of fun to see as they start to interact and and the the human and humane things that they can get involved with I, I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm hoping we uh, pulled it off. <laughs> I hope we don't disappoint you at all. I don't think you will. Now I did want to point out it's a six issue series. Is th this is going to be monthly starting in April? Starting, yes. Starting in April, it will be monthly. Okay. So basically, you guys have gotten all the, the, the background work and the stuff ready to go to press. 
Oh yeah. Okay, because not not everybody does that. You understand? I I always have to talk about the Dark Knight Returns. First issue came out. I was there. Okay, great. I'm a Batman guy. I can't wait. Second issue came out a month later. Third issue came out six months after that. And then the fourth issue, the final issue, came out a year after that. Ah. I didn't think I was going to live to see the, the last issue of that series. <laughs> I, I don't know what, what what's responsible for something like that. I can tell you that early on, and I guess I'm still early on in writing comics, one of the lessons that uh, Tom uh, drilled into me was, always stay ahead of your artist. You know, get those scripts in, stay ahead of the artist. Don't leave the artist with nothing to do because then they'll go and find another job. <laughs> and, and, and don't leave us fans waiting because we're, we're fickle, I have to say. It's, it's the, the Janet Jackson rule, what have you done for me lately kind of stuff. And if a book disappears off the stands for a month or two, We'll we'll look for something else to take that place, and so you have to, you got to be really on you know on time if you can to. Not real life gets in the way of comics. I realize that, but sometimes you've got to. And I just today bought a book I've been waiting for for five years, wow. a series that's just gonna. It's it's a book called Amulet, um, and the the ninth in the of the books came out. Today and like I said, I've been waiting for this for years, and I finally got to sit down and read this book. And I was going like, I can't believe it! I've got it, and it was a good conclusion too. I liked it. Well, one of the biggest problems I see in comics is uh, conclusions. You know, the Marvel miniseries thing. You know, they it starts out with all this uh, wind and fury, and everything's going on. Oh boy, can't wait, can't wait. By the end, by the see the sixth issue is kind of the excitement's watered down, and here's the next miniseries to take its place. Oh, excitement! And then waters down. Then the next one comes on after that one, and I'm kind of the place now with endings to me. A good ending, I love. <laughs> so I'm hoping this. Now let me ask you that. This, uh, without giving too much away, is does this story wrap up? At the end of the sixth issue, is there likely to be another miniseries down the pike? This is a self-contained story. Um, if someone were to approach me and say, hey, have you got a, another adventure for these characters? I could say absolutely. Um, because as in real life, making it day-to-day, trying to afford an apartment in New York or anywhere else with, <laughs> for these two is going to be a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. And given their histories and the things into which they will be drawn over and over again because they've got this reputation in their former community, it's going to everything's going to be challenging for them. I'll be fun to read. I think it's going to be, especially in New York, that's going to be a real challenge. I think it's going to be something to see how they actually, especially these days. Uh, Oh yeah! How it's going to be? It's going to be fun to do. So you're bringing some of this reality that you're. It, it sounds like you're also concerned about having an apartment in New York. <laughs> uh, I I don't currently live in New York. I have lived in New York. Uh, I had what was called a one bedroom apartment. Uh, Laughingly, huh? The, well, the bedroom was about the size of a walk in closet. <laughs> uh, 
And it was one of the, it was a, a shotgun apartment. It was an apartment that had been divided uh, into two apartments. One apartment had been divided into two. So it was just like it was a long hallway that ended in the walk-in closet that was the bedroom. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. This, I hate to say it, but the costs of real estate and even renting an apartment like that is like through the roof. Yeah, it, it, was, so. it was. It was. Uh, it was exorbitant for what I. Uh, what I got in terms of uh, square footage. Now I, I have to ask about the names of the characters. Okay. Cannon. Cannon bulk. Uh, which I find that Chris right away I'm in trouble because that makes me you know and Chris he looks the name he looks like that's his name that's uh, what I say I I. I sort of imagined the characters as I started writing as being very physically different. You know, just mm-hmm. there's, all, there's that the comedy of, you know, a, a fairly lean guy, a fairly squat guy, and the, so the, the names just came sort of very naturally, giving their their various abilities and, and physical types. So the names just like bounced into my head pretty quickly. Well, see, I worried about, I didn't know where Bounder came from until I saw him jump over a fence. Then I said, ah, Bounder. That's why they call him Bounder. And they have abilities, but they're not quite that impressive. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, are we seeing the limits of their abilities already, or are there other powers? Uh, You've seen close to the limits of their abilities. You'll see more of what those abilities can do when they are fully engaged or fully involved or their emotions get caught up in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you've kind of seen what they can do. <laughs> okay. Of course, if they get in certain circumstances, it's likely that they'll be able to rise to meet those circumstances. I would imagine. Well, remember they got a history of getting their butts kicked. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they will always do their level best, mm-hmm. but they, they may still, uh, in certain circumstances, I, I, I see. I, I right away when I saw the 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 new character that I mentioned, yeah, I I immediately said, okay, I have a feeling what that character is going to be involved in, but that's just me. Uh, so we'll see. Let's we'll okay. see if I'm actually correct or not. But I, uh, well, I, I, I'd be very anxious to hear your theory when we are not being recorded and there's a potential okay. for spoilers. Well, when we get done, well, I'll mention it to you real quickly. But it's, uh, I, I get such a huge kick out of uh, this book already. I've only seen about six pages, and I enjoyed them. Every one of them made brought at least a smile to my face. And so okay. I have to say, so nicely done. I, I just, you know, we don't get to smile or enjoy comics too much. It's all the darkness, the darkness. Oh, it's so horrible. And I'm kind of like, as much as I like Batman, I have to say, I've been reading the current Batman with uh, Chip Zdarsky and I'm kind of going like, you know, if I used heavy drugs, I think I'd understand this story better. But I, I, I just put out, a, as, as we're talking, I just got the first issue of the origin of the Joker. Ah. And I went through that and I was like, what in the heck happened here? I don't understand what's going on, but uh, I'll have to read it again and again, I guess, to try to get it in. But uh, see, I like a, a story. See, those Justice Leagues to me were were a pinnacle. I 
I used to laugh my head off at certain things, and I used to smile tremendously when they put the Martian Manhunter with the Oreo cookies. Yeah, <laughs> that that made me smile. I have to say, I did not expect that with the, that character. And so, see, there's things like that. I think that are coming with these characters. We're going to get to know them, and we're going to get to understand their personalities, and and really, what's going to happen with them moving forward. It's going to be fun to see. So, just, and just one of the I things can't. that's great about comic books is the, is the breadth of what's out there. Um, there's stuff for everybody. If you like, if you enjoy the darker sort of more adult comics or the humor there, or something that's, you know, far more humorous, there's, there's just so much stuff out there. It just, sometimes it's tough finding it on the shelves of your local store, mm-hmm. but, it, but there is a lot of stuff out there for a lot of different tastes. Um, and I think that's terrific. I do too, but I somehow, I always end up in the darker stuff. Um, so for me, like your book is a nice change of pace. I, I have to say right up front, I love variety. I, I love different kinds of storytelling. I'm a big science fiction guy. Uh, I'm also, I, I, I love more human storytelling where we get to like, or not like the characters and stuff like that. And so for me, this book's going to be a nice change of pace for me as, as I get, and when I read comics, I always put the one I'm looking forward to most on the bottom. I want to end with a really great comic. And I think your book is going to be on the bottom of the stack. every week. <laughs> oh, it comes great. Out. You made it to the bottom of Wayne's pile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I told that to Robert Venditti when he was doing Hawkman. He says, I hope I'm on the bottom every month. He goes, <laughs> and I said, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I meant it that way, but, but that's, but I, I want to end with a really great comic that makes me say, Oh, I can't wait for next week. So I can have more comics. I don't want to end with a blah. Eh, book. I want something that's going to make me, you know, want to keep reading and reading more stuff. So I completely understand that. Yeah, that's really good. So, uh, Dead Weights, uh, again, it's going to arrive in stores on April 10. It comes out from Ahoy Comics. Um, and uh, Tyrone here is the writer, and the artist is Sebastian. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Pires, looks like P I R I Z. Yes. Okay, because you know the, the the bad thing about the names in comics is I'm never sure how to pronounce them, so we need a pronunciation guide. Some of these, to, so I can pronounce people's names. But uh, it just looks like it's a great combination on that, and I'm really looking forward to uh, all six issues on this, and maybe we'll get to see these characters in other areas and other stories come moving forward. That would be fun to see too, and it would be fun to write. Yeah, I think you would enjoy it quick. Uh, why don't you, while well, we got a couple of minutes, talk about, you, you did a book called Swine and another book called Station 19. You also have been writing some of the, uh, one thing that Hoy does is put those uh, uh, text uh, articles at the end, the kind of stories in there. Talk about the stuff that you've done in comics uh, prior to this, if you would. Okay, well, uh, the prose stories that appear in the back of Hoy Comics, that's that was actually my introduction to Ahoy Comics. Um, when they first started up, what, five years ago, um, about uh, several months in the run, they were they were soliciting for, hey, send us your prose stories. I felt like, you know what? I've always wanted to write some prose stories. And they had a word limit and whatnot. And so I managed to submit and sell some prose stories to them. And it, it was fantastic because 
I could buy a comic book. And hey, there's my prose story in the back. And I was enjoying <laughs> the Ahoy comics um, themselves, not just the prose stories that I uh, managed to sell them. And I continued to bug Stuart more about, hey, I got an idea for some back page material. Uh, and he was open to the idea of putting some uh, shorter six-page stories behind a book he did called Bronze Age Boogie, which was in the <laughs> first run. And <laughs> I pitched him an idea, which he did not like. <laughs> <laughs> However, one of the characters within that idea, he said, I don't like this whole thing, but this one character makes me laugh. And he said, if you can expand upon this and give me four six-page issues of this, this can appear in the back of Bronze Age Boogie. And that was a story I wrote called Major Ursa, um, which was the story. It was a story that was essentially set you know, in, in the uh, 1950s about the United States space program when they launched a, a bear into outer space to test uh, the effect of uh, <laughs> space travel on a living being. A, a bear seemed logical for them at the time. Uh, and, and the bear returns to Earth with a massive intelligence and, and the ability to speak several languages and a complete understanding of physics. Uh, and yet because he's a bear, they refuse to employ him at uh, NASA. And he has to fight mm. to uh, get his designs accepted. And But he's ultimately exploited. And it was, it was a lark. It was a lot of fun. And uh, that was my intro into Ahoy Comics. Cool. Uh, Very cool. Uh, so uh, what was Swine about, if I can ask ooh, you? Okay. <laughs> uh, Swine was a book I did for another publisher, uh, Humanoids. It was a graphic novel I wrote. Are you familiar with the expression, I am Legion? Yes. Okay. Uh, if you know where it, it comes from, it is this, it's from a Bible story, New Testament story, in which right. uh, Jesus uh, casts a number of demons out of a single person. And puts them into a pig, into put to a herd of pigs, yeah. and, and then the pigs run off a cliff and drown. Mm-hmm. And I was with some friends uh, at lunch once, and we were talking about the trope of, well, if you don't see a dead body, you don't know it's, you don't know the person's dead. And right. for some reason, that Bible story came to mind, and I thought to myself, I wonder if Jesus stuck around to make sure that all the pigs were dead. <laughs> <laughs> But from there it went to, well, the pigs weren't dead, then there are all of these pigs that are possessed by Legion, who at this point are probably immortal and wandering the earth, trying to find a way to take over. And that was the birth of swine. <laughs> okay. I have to look that up. That sounds, that's, that's interesting. I will tell you, it is, it is incredibly weird. I It, it came from some place in my head that I uh, can't explain, don't access very often. <laughs> but it was a blast to write it. I bet it's not what about Station 19? Well, Station 19 wasn't a comic book, that was a TV show on which I worked. Um, when I'm not doing comic books, I have this other day job, um, writing television. So, Station 19 was a TV show that uh is actually still running on ABC. This is the final season for it. Um, oh, what's it about? Um, Station 19 is a spin off from Gray's Anatomy, it's about a fire station in Seattle. Uh, that is only a few blocks away from Gray's, uh, from the hospital in Grey's Anatomy, and uh, it's the story of some firefighters. 
Wow. How is the last season? Uh, is this last season going to be its seventh season? I don't know. I think it might be the seventh. Wow. That's, um, so how long have you been working on it? Well, I'm not working on it anymore. Um, oh. I, I left a year ago. Um, but I was there for a few years. And uh, it, it's a completely different job, TV and uh, comic books. The, the, the learning curve on comic books was was incredible because uh, having worked in TV for so long, it's like, oh, this is completely different. This is so much harder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Um, okay, so are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, there are other projects I'm working on that I just can't tell you about. <laughs> that That's good to hear, though. That means something is percolating, and we'll find out. Which leads to the next question. If we want to follow you and find out what you're up to, how do we do that in social media? I am not on social media at all. Um, you're not? Well, here's the thing. I spend so much time in front of my computer already on a daily basis that I'll go down a rabbit hole. If I, if I get on social media, <laughs> or any, I, I know myself well enough to know that I will dive down the rabbit hole. I will go without showering or eating, and I will just sit in front of my computer clicking on things. I can't do it. I just can't do it. It reminds me, one time I was working at a hospital, and I, I was working in uh, publishing and creating uh, magazines and public uh, publications and stuff. And I was talking, and, and then comes the, uh, the chaplain. She comes and says, says, man, you're on this computer all day. I said, yeah, yeah, lots to do today. And so at night, I'm out on social media, and all of a sudden I get this I am. Are you still on the computer? Get off the computer, was the chaplain. She says, get off the computer. You've been on it long enough, she goes. So I can I can relate to that kind of thing. I've had people tell me that before. So. Yeah, I have to. I, I, avoid this, I avoid social media for that reason. Okay. All right. So uh, is there any way that we can follow what you're doing? Is, who- uh, I, when things happen, uh, I count on people like the good folks at Ahoy to put out a press release and do their best to promote. And I will do whatever I can to help under those circumstances. But I just can't be on, you know, Instagram or anything like that. I, I, I just won't do it. Okay. Well, I guess we should watch Ahoy. Uh, sounds like Ahoy, Ahoy or whomever else I might be working for. Um, actually, now that I now that you and I have gotten to know each other, I'll just call you directly if something comes. Up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, again, it's called Dead Weights, and the first of six issues comes out on April 10, and it comes out from Ahoy. And uh, now, now the interesting thing it says on here, you can follow Ahoy. On social media, they're on X, the the app formerly known as Twitter, and the Blue Sky, Facebook, and Instagram. So I guess in, in lieu of uh, following you, maybe we'll have to see what Ahoy's up to. Following Ahoy is always a good idea. Those guys are fun. <laughs> it's, they have some of the craziest books out there. Uh, the Wrong Earth is one of my favorites. Um, yeah. The Second Coming, I think, is another. It was a book I was certain was going to be terrible because of anything that's religious. I always think that when they get in the comics and TV, they always have to really denigrate people who are that who believe in those kinds of things. Oh, no. And Mark I, doesn't do that at all. 
Oh, no. I was. I interviewed him, and I said, you know, I was completely surprised when I started to read this book. It was actually had some really good points to make and things to think about. I was, wow, this is really great. And just for people who don't know, the, the what happens on in the Second Coming is Jesus is forced to live in an apartment with Sunstar, who resembles Superman. And God makes him do that. And so this that leads to all sorts of interesting things. And I have to say that, and I've told Mark this, I I really enjoy thinking about some of the stuff he, he points out because not everybody I know thinks that way. So <laughs> I really like that. I, I just I, I some of the stuff he does is very thoughtful, and I really like it. So yeah, great. and some of the stuff he does is like wildly so much. I mean, the serial monsters thing he's doing is like just as a contrast to Second Coming. It's like I I don't know. He just pulls it from everywhere. He's, it's his mind. Great stuff. Just great stuff. Well, hopefully people will enjoy your book too and uh, get dead weights out there too. So maybe you can have a crossover between second coming and dead weights. <laughs> <laughs> you shall see. That'll be fun. That'll be fancy. So anyway, Tyrone, it's great to talk with you. Hopefully I get to do it again when, when something else comes down the pike. But uh, again, I encourage you, Dead Weights, it's going to be lots of fun. It's going to be really interesting, a very human story, even with mutants and misunderstood evil mutants, no less. We're going to have all those kind of good things going on. Great art, uh, just spectacularly done storytelling. Six issues starting up in April, on April 10th. So, Tyrone, I'm going to keep my eye out and see when your stuff is coming so I can be sure to Pick it up, and uh, if I see your name somewhere, I'm going to buy it. So it's going to be Make your way and put it right at the bottom of your pile. <laughs> I sure will. Thanks. <laughs> and that's it for this week. Be sure to be back next time when I'll have another great interview with yet another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.